0: We told you yesterday that we weren't sure if the last day of group stage action could live up to everything we've seen so far. I mean, it did. It somehow did. We had great action yet again for the third consecutive day. Insanity.
1: FIFA, take notes. We're not going to do the whole diatribe here. It can be done elsewhere. It will be done elsewhere. You cannot sacrifice four team groups. You cannot sacrifice the double-barreled action this was awesome. It delivered again. South Korea, what a moment. This game, Serbia-Switzerland, didn't have the amazing ending, but it was awesome anyway. Five sick goals.
0: Ah, it's such a good it product. I know. It, it can't be topped. Let's dive right into it. This is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I'm Austin Miller. He's Mitt Malik. We're going to break down the final day of group stage action. We're going to preview what's to come tomorrow because both the U.S. and Argentina are in action. I mean, South Korea, on yesterday's show, we said that they had a chance to beat a rotated, unmotivated Portugal team and see what happens the other game. And that's exactly what happened. A 2-1 win for South Korea. Uruguay only beat Ghana 2-0. Insane, insane games, again. Ghana win a penalty and then miss it against Uruguay. They had 12 years of it for this exact penalty. And what'd they do? They missed it again! Yeah, you would think in all that time plotting revenge, you know, they did lose in 2010
1: to shootout. You'd think they'd be practicing them. Maybe maybe it was the Uruguay scuffs of the penalty spot. Who's to say? But uh, you got to lift that thing. And from there, though, that was their chance. Uruguay played very well when they had their best attacking players from the start. De Arsqueta was so good. Yeah, Played some really good balls. Got a really good one to Luis Suarez. The first goal...
0: From Ghana. Very bad. Very yeah. bad defense. How many different defensive errors? Both centers are <laughs> charged with an error for letting the ball go through to Luis Suarez. The goalkeeper can be charged for the third error for not making a better save on a Luis Suarez shot. And then the other defender who let Arasca to just run by him to get to the rebound. Four different errors on the Canadians. Yeah. Uh, all started also from just giving the ball away yeah. extremely right. cheaply in the midfield. Yep. Uh yeah. It's bad from Ghana defensively. Great goal from the Uruguayans for the second. And now let's shift over and come back to Uruguay in a second because we have to talk about what was happening in Korea and Portugal. The Portuguese scored early in this game. And then from there, they kind of just chucked it into second gear and said, let's see what happens. South Korea scored to equalize to make it 1-1. Portugal eventually hauled off a, a distraught Cristiano Ronaldo who wasted a chance to pad his World Cup stats. And then Korea found their way into this game in a perfectly timed run. And for the first time this tournament, we saw elite Sion Hun Min, right? That's what happened on this play that led to the Korean second goal. Totally. We had
1: said, you know, South Korea's best chance is their best player changing the match with one play, one shot. In this case, it was the pass. He picks it up, dribbles 70, 80 yards against a stretched defense. And then credit to Hwang Hee Chan who sprinted also 80 yards himself yeah. uh, to get available. And then the pass is sublime, right? Yeah. He had just finished the sprint. He stops. He megs the defender times the run perfectly. So that Chan is on sides, puts it just delicately into the open space and a very good finish scenes, euphoria, jubilation, but the job wasn't done because there was still 10
0: ish minutes for Uruguay to, to get the third and send themselves through. And they couldn't. Right. It was really weird because there was a huge difference in first half stoppage times in these games. And they allowed the Portugal-Korea match to start so far ahead of the Uruguay match. There was like seven minutes of differential, and then there was all the stoppage time on it. We'll get to that in a second. Were you petrified that that South Korea goal was coming back for offside? That was my initial reaction was, oh, there's no way he's onside. He was so open. There's no way he timed that run perfectly.
1: It was so fast in real time, it was hard to tell. And we didn't get the replay for a while. So, yeah, I was scared. But it was perfectly timed. (laughs) Yeah, it just was like, oh, there's there's a. we've said this before, not on this podcast, but just to each other. There's a small concession that if you score a sick enough goal, the offside rules shouldn't matter.
0: Uh, This would have been one of them, but that's okay. It counted. So that put Korea through tentatively. And now we shift back to what was happening between Uruguay and Ghana. Uruguay at 2-0 kind of fell back into a defensive shell. And crucially, I'm not faulting the fact that they started to play defensive at 2-0. That's okay, I understand that. They took off those attacking players who made them so good. Georgian De Arascaeta, who was the man talked about so much from Uruguay in this tournament, was brought off. They also took off Luis Suarez and Darwin Nunez. That left them with Edinson Cavani up front and a mishmash of players in the midfield. Their best attacking player was probably Nicolas De La Cruz. When Korea score the goal to take the lead, Uruguay then now need to go score again. They're going out despite the 2-0 win. And also in this moment, Ghana are two goals away from going through themselves. that They can somehow haul themselves back in it and draw the match. And it was crazy because Uruguay made that decision and now, oh no, we have to go score. We have to go score. I think that was a big mistake by Diego Alonso. I don't fault him for trying to protect the 2-0 result, but I think he did it too early especially with the difference between the two games. You have to know that you're going to have time to adjust. And so he could have brought those guys off after it was clear that South Korea wasn't going to win or didn't win the game. Instead, he did it too soon. He had to adjust. He didn't have the players to do it. But admit they still had a couple of penalty shouts to try and get the goal that would have led them to 3-0. They did. They did. And I think maybe
1: the first one has a better chance yeah, because the, new the referee play, does right? the... Yeah, Nunez is in on the left side of goal and just gets chopped, uh, but the toe is wrapped around, and the ref does the ball symbol, and I think it was a little more body than ball on the replay. I understand. You know, it would have been middle of the – it's a toss-up, but yeah. I, I probably thought pen on that one. The second one is a bit of a flop from Cavani, yes. but it's not that far off from the penalty he gave to Ghana. So I get why Uruguay feel hard done. And after the match, of course, they're going to let the referee know, hey, you did a bad job, bud. Yeah,
0: classic Uruguayan style surrounding the ref. FIFA definitely not prepared for that. Where's your riot police, guys? We need to get that ref off the pitch as fast (laughs) as possible. I think my feeling is I wouldn't give the Cavani play. He's very clearly digging for contact. Like, it's a super intelligent move. And it's the type of thing that an attacking player with that much experience does, but he leaves his leg out. He's looking for the contact to come, and when it does, he goes down. Not a penalty for me. I'm with you. I think the Nunez one was much more. And this
1: ending was crazy. It was about as end-to-end as you can get there once Uruguay needed that third goal. And I'm with you that Diego Alonso, you can play defensive, you can sub on legs, but you needed – Diarra on the field. And from there, it was just madness. And there were chances flying in thick and fast. And then at some point, Ghana was like, this is now our biggest task. We know we're not getting two, but we sure are not letting Uruguay through. Yep. And they played for a lot of pride and credit to them. And a couple of big saves from the goalkeeper. couple of, yeah, very big saves. I just think for Uruguay, they won by two. It was a result that heading into the day you probably thought was enough. But from the start, Diego Alonso had kind of left his team too little too late. Yep. They needed more against South Korea. This is a theme we've been talking about. Yep. That's the weakest team in the group we thought. They didn't end up being that way, but go attack them. And then they were too slow against Portugal. And yep. here, then he took them off. They didn't spend enough minutes with their best players in yep. their best configuration. So all of that's to say they deserve kind of to go out. They were just a little slow. And to this point, our closing rant yesterday was exactly on how you manage the double yep. barrel tactics because it's a layer on layer. And you can get it wrong. And I think they got it wrong today. You have to know that that result could have changed, that you may need to go back and get it. Yep. And... They seemed like they were either not aware or not ready for that possibility. And they did get chances, but they could have done more.
0: Yeah, and I think that's a lack of preparation, right? Like, you need to have somebody you trust that's watching that game and telling you, hey, Korea looks much more likely here. We need to be prepared for the fact that they might score. It wasn't the case. Korea's goal didn't come out of nowhere. They were creating chances. They were obviously taking the initiative. And Portugal did not look like a team that was particularly plussed either way right like it was a lot like Spain yesterday they were attempting to score but they certainly weren't going all out for it that cost them I also thought Ghana was kind of odd down the stretch I think once Uruguay opened up looking for that third goal they should have been a lot more clinical because there was a chance to score one break the Uruguayan hearts and then go get another one and somehow sneak through the penalty was also bad I think Ghana could have had a better day than they did Right, I think the
1: overarching narrative and sentiment among Ghanaian fans will be, yeah, not revenge, but some sort of joy. placation joy, yeah, um, for preventing their arch rivals from getting through. But they were good enough in these three games to have gone through. They had enough anac- attacking talent. Yeah, they didn't have a great defense, but a bunch of teams in this tournament had a similar team build to them. Um. They could have, and this group was really fun, and South Korea, they go through for, I think, deservedly for attacking Portugal, and I know they didn't get the result against Ghana, but those two goals mattered, and they went after it, so again, this is one where maybe the order of the games could have helped Uruguay and hurt South Korea, of course they benefited from getting rotated Portugal, but they still had to go attack and win that game, and Uruguay did the least against Portugal until it was too late. So, yeah, I, I, I'm happy for Korea. I think they deserve it. I'm really happy for Sun Heung-min, who you can tell it means a lot to him. And he wears a lot of burden on that shirt. I'm happy for all the teams that got through almost all of them.
0: but Not
1: Poland. Not Poland. Yeah, not, Poland. Uh, not Portugal, really, either. Yeah. But they're good content. Yeah. So it's not that you always get rewarded for doing attacking soccer or having the right approach that's not how soccer works but when it works out like
0: this it did feel like everyone came away a little bit satisfied yeah it was great drama as well like we said it was fantastic switching to the other group Amit did we have the after dark moment of this world cup and is it did it come courtesy of Vincent Abubakar who scored a go-ahead goal for Cameroon against Brazil a massive massive moment and then on a yellow card removed his shirt to get sent off in a game where Cameroon needed to go get another goal to protect themselves that if the other match had drawn, they could have potentially gone through. And had they gone through, he would have been suspended for the round of 16. It was absolute madness. I respect the bit. I respect the commitment to celebrating a goal. He scored three in this World Cup. Three? I think he scored three. Maybe he only scored two. I don't know. Regardless, you just can't do that in that moment. And it was such an after dark moment. And we haven't even gotten to the Serbia-Switzerland game. But talk quickly on a
1: No, it was. We, yeah. this podcast, obviously, is called World Cup After Dark. We used to run a show way back called Sports Voice After Dark, which is just celebrating this kind of stuff. The weird, the wacky, and sure, everyone likes the weird and the wacky, but this exact kind of, like... Yeah surreal what are you doing but i respect it moment because of course you just scored against brazil and you're the cameroonian striker and you've been talking a big game all tournament he did it it was awesome go run to the corner but then knowingly or not he had a yellow card and he gets set off and it they needed another goal like you said oh man if if we had sports after dark still running it now immediate entry for athlete yeah. of the year yeah. this was an all-time moment uh, until taken otherwise he will be the world cup after dark uh moment Fair. of the tournament yeah so good and hey good for cameroon right yeah. I, they actually could have done more and maybe i i can see them feeling like they deserve deserved or should have done more but this is still a great result for them despite yep. not going through
0: Had they defended better against Serbia, this might be a different story, right? Like, this is a fantastic result. Look, they benefited from a rotated Brazil that wasn't firing on all cylinders. But that's been the story of these third-day matches. You take advantage of the team that rotates. That's part of the game, right? So it's a great result for Cameroon. I think quickly on Brazil, they rotated everybody that they could. You know, Puma's midfielder, Danny Alves, started right back. They got everybody on the pitch. I think they would have liked to have been a bit better. I thought Gabriel Martinelli was really good in this game. Not concerned about this result for Brazil. They still won the group, uh, but this wasn't great. I think they would have liked to have, have won this match. And they probably had the talent out there that should have won it. I agree with you.
1: It wasn't their best performance, but we I, we said before this game yesterday, no one plays three clean games, not France, right. not Brazil. Yep. We just saw not Spain, not Argentina. So It's okay to just go through the motions a little bit. I have no doubt. No one has any doubt that they'll be up once the game starts.
0: And nobody won all three of their group stage matches, which is insane. Not a single team went three of three in wins in this World Cup so far. All right, Serbia-Switzerland. This was the game that ended up mattering. Bad defending. Just a clinic of bad defending and a clinic of great goals. It kind of petered out at the end. There wasn't a great moment in this game. Switzerland scored the winning goal early in the second half. But this game was what we expected it to be. High level, high tension, the most hard-fought game of this World Cup so far. Certainly the game that brought the most amount of afters in certain moments. Switzerland deserving of going through here for you? Of course they are. They,
1: in a game between two teams with good offenses, good attacks, and not so great defending, they had the slightly better of it in both, right? Their three goals were very well worked and they did enough. They had enough legs that at the end of the day, Serbia's attacking talent was as good as I thought. I had picked them here slightly as an underdog, but they did not have enough legs to consistently create. And that's what you saw after the 60th minute. They needed the third. They needed two really, and they couldn't really get enough chances consistently um, because they're not that fast um, and Switzerland were dangerous on the counter, but five goals were scored, they were all well-worked, and Switzerland had three of them. Like, it kind of comes down to they were just better in more moments. And Serbia's two goals
0: were really good.
1: Right? They, they were won. very good. Incredibly and good that, goals. That third Switzerland goal, I have to say, takes the the cake for, I think, the most yeah. gorgeous team play of the tournament. Yeah. right. The ball gets recycled to Shakiri, who... Side note, unfortunately, I will be issuing an apology to Zernan Sakiri. Not that anything I said earlier was wrong, but you did it. You were yeah. a game-changing X-Factor player in the World Cup. Congrats on resting those legs in August in the heat. Still only <laughs> still only made it 65 minutes. Yeah, but still that's only okay. made it 65 minutes, but he was good. So yeah. the ball comes to him. He hits a delightful chip over the top, and then it's back-heeled into the path of the striker for a one-time finish. That's sumptuous stuff. But yeah, every goal in this was good. Um, Switzerland were good value. And it wasn't the prettiest the whole way through. Um, They're not anything special. I think they are right in the middle of boring European team. But their attacking soccer was very good and much more better than other boring European teams.
0: Yeah, and at the end of the day, Serbia just didn't defend well enough to go through in this group. Like, that's the story. They gave up three goals against Cameroon. They blew a 3-1 lead against Cameroon. They gave up three goals against Switzerland. They blew a 2-1 lead against Switzerland, right? Like, at the end of the day, when you get into leading positions at the World Cup, you have to be able to finish out those results. That, I think, is
1: the... The, honestly the best way to look at it because yeah if any other team said they were leading in two games of the World Cup you yeah. expect six points four is disappointing to get zero from those situations they got is a fi- it, one sorry the yeah. tie with Cameroon to get one from that situation is a failure so yeah they'll have a lot of regret I it's definitely not like uh overall institutional disappointment in the likes of Denmark
0: or, or Belgium. Right. But they'll feel that, yeah, you're right. You, you, you They attacked well. well enough to get out of this group. And they did not defend well enough to get out of this group. And that's the story. Um, all right. We've not seen every World Cup. You weren't there in 1930. You weren't there in 1950 either. Was this the best World Cup group stage you could remember? Yeah, my brain can go back vaguely
1: to 2006. I was pretty young. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember a ton. But I remember since then but yes, this format has been the same the whole time yeah or at least for in the last stretch it's been pretty unchanged but I think the final day has really improved Delivery. because we're, we've talked about this post analytical
0: thing which I think is real um some fake quick quick side note on that and this is gonna sound like me humble bragging but I was, just on a, I did a radio hit with Sirius XM FC in the United States. I almost used your post analytical state of U.S. international soccer, and then I remembered that the listeners of Sirius XM FC are not necessarily the listeners of right. the World Cup After Dark podcast. So we need to get that term into the mainstream more, so I can yeah just and drop it. I think people that talk about
1: soccer a lot yeah. are aware of this, right? It's not like XG yeah. has changed the sport. It has, and that came around the mid 2010s. And then 2018, you saw the start of international soccer being played, where everyone had the idea of what to do to get through. And this World Cup, outside of Qatar, every team more or less gave themselves as good of a chance as they could to win. Like, I'm not saying every team performed. They obviously didn't. Not every team executed. But nowadays, like... You're just—it's very clear how to succeed with what type of team you have at the World Cup. The cheat sheet is there. There's no excuse yep. to be very open if that's not what it calls for, and there's no excuse to get tossed out early if there's somehow a chance. Right? You can play to your result on the final day. So,
0: I mean, for for two minutes, Costa Rica were going right, through on the right. final day, right? So,
1: I'm not saying chaos hasn't happened before. And this is actually, we're now yeah. in a state where the good teams want to limit chaos. But what we got was two very cagey rounds of soccer where the good teams didn't have to get into full gear, but were that good. And the bad teams wanted to limit damage and some teams picked their spots. But at the end of day two, we saw some stuff, but what it really led to was day three where everyone, almost everyone, had to come play, except for two teams that were done, and one of them still came and played, and a few teams that were through already because they were good, right? The good teams yeah. did it. And then what we got was the result of that. You, We waited, we waited, and then it's like, okay, now this, you can't wait anymore. You have to go play, and it was awesome. Yeah. And I think that's that was a long way of answering. That's what made this final round of games so awesome, It was definitely the best um, in in my memory. And it potentially could be the best for a while if the World Cup talent is diluted, even if the four team groups are kept. We could not have that. So really special that we got to watch it. And looking at the field, a lot of the best teams were in, except for maybe Belgium. But then we got a lot of new, exciting teams, new blood into this round of 16. This was an awesome group stage.
0: Oh, I just saw on my TV that Edison Cavani knocked over the VAR monitor as he was walking off the pitch. Sorry, I know that we already talked about that game, no, but I just had good. to bring that up. But as he's walking off the pitch, he walks by the VAR monitor, and he's just like, "Boom!" and he knocks it over. Great moment. Um, a couple of things to to what you said there. I think what we're seeing is the gap maybe has never been bigger to the truly elite international teams and everybody else, but I think the gap between everybody else is smaller, right? Like it's, I'm with you. Narrow. That's yeah. That's the word I was looking for. It's narrow because as we've seen at this tournament, right? Like we have a round of 16 that if I'm not mistaken, and again, should have done my research before the podcast, but that's not our vibes. I'm pretty sure we have eight European teams and eight non-European teams in the round of 16. And that's a really good number. Every confederation is represented. Uh, Asia have three teams. Africa have two. Carnival have two. And then CONCACAF got one. So doing that math, that's eight. And then there's the eight UEFA teams. That is, I think, a pretty good picture of where world football is at in that, yes, the best of the best are still really, really good. But the gap between a team like Belgium and Canada is not nearly as big as it would have been 10 years ago. Agreed. And I'm specifically looking at Japan and
1: Morocco, who we talked about yesterday, to new dark, not dark Dark horse. I, we don't need to use that term anymore at this point right. in the tournament. Two teams that we were very impressed by, and maybe we were impressed because of their confederation, but on talent, their players are in the best leagues. They're the distribution yeah. of this is okay. Not to get too big brained here, but we are now in also the globalization state of of soccer. Right, a team like Japan yeah. and a team like Morocco can have their entire starting eleven. Played in the top leagues in the world because of the improvements in global scouting, and because those leagues now know there is talent to be found everywhere if you go send scouts there and invest in it. Um,
0: Well, and there's value to be found, right? Like that is what causes it: is that it's a lot cheaper to buy a player who's really good from Morocco than to buy a player who's really good from the country you're in. And that's that's been why there's a lot of
1: World Cup players in this tournament from MLS,
0: right? That's, yep. you know,
1: South America, MLS are, have, <clears throat> I think in the last five, 10 years, South America have always been, but specifically teams investing, scouting, there, um, really good yep. pipelines for talent. So this is, I think we're in agreement, a lot of factors that have led to this really diverse round of 16. Um, it was really fun that we got those games. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: So taking that point and now shifting it kind of forward, what does that mean? We're going to get. Are we still going to get surprise results in the round of 16, or are we going to end up with a World Cup that remains dominated by the pre-tournament favorites? I think that is the big question for me. Yes, Japan, really good. Morocco, really good. Australia, surprising, impressive in their results. The U.S., able to control games. We have these teams that are of a tier below the major favorites that have had success. Now, will any of those teams break through and go on an extended run? Because we've seen those in World Cup past, right? Costa Rica got to the quarterfinals. Ghana and Uruguay played a quarterfinal match at a World Cup. Is there a team in this field of round of 16 that has the combination of talent and draw to make an extended run in the knockout stages? I agree with you. That is the big
1: question. I don't know the answer. It's really fascinating because I do think the favorites have shown themselves to be the favorites. We also are now better at predicting than ever before because of modeling and all sorts of data now that exists in soccer. And so when the model said that Brazil, France, and Argentina are really good, uh, they were right. (laughs) And we did have that Argentina scare, but they look just as good. And then you have Spain and England, Um, very good teams. And I think, I'm not sure about the quarterfinals. I think we might see two, Maybe three shock into the quarter shocks into the quarterfinals. I'd be very surprised if we didn't get a chalky semifinals and a, from there on. Yep. Um that being said, uh there's always sometimes a run, a weird team gets into the semifinals. Croatia in twenty eighteen was yep. kind of Made kind of an underdog run. Um I'm not sure what we'll see. I'm tending to think that the yeah. four best teams or th- at least brazil france and argentina should all make it to the semifinals so i think
0: it's fair to say there's kind of five teams that we would think have maybe separated themselves and of those five they've kind of separated themselves into two tiers right we have the three kind of major favorites brazil argentina france and then the two kind of sub favorites in england and spain those teams are distributed distributed throughout the bracket so that we could have four of them in the semifinals. England and France would be the only ones who would have to meet before the semifinals because Spain didn't win their group. Is there a team that is not of those five that you think can make the semifinals?
1: Right. Uh, I think Portugal could if they beat Spain. Spain aren't impervious to beating Portugal. Portugal have shown they're actually quite good with the Ronaldo problem. (laughs) Um, And then you know, you would think the Netherlands are the next team up, but we both think they're an upset pick perhaps in the round of 16, yep. which we can get to, or we got to. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Behind the curtain time, we've recorded this podcast in different segments. So a bit is confused because space and time are different. When you record a podcast and splice it together at the end.
1: Right. One main timeline. All right. Um, <laughs>
0: <laughs> a Marvel Cinematic yeah. Universe reference. Um,
1: I I think Japan or Croatia, because one of them will be in the quarterfinals, of course, has a chance also. So those are very, like, mathy answers to, like, just on the draw, Portugal and those two teams could have a chance. But in any one game, I'm still taking the, the teams right. I like. That being said, there's no way that we get an entire chalk of all the group winners winning. I just, I can't see that happening.
0: Well also the group winners yes, aren't necessarily correct. chalk, right? Like Spain was a yeah. runner up. And so they're playing Morocco, who were a group winner. Japan were also right. group winners. Um, can you pull up your favorite five thirty-eight numbers? Can we steal their content yeah. here? I wanna see who is the sixth most likely team to make the semifinals. Actually, it might be the fifth most likely team because they might have a better yeah. chance than so I who would have to go up against France.
1: It's illustrative and what we might expect, right? Brazil first, Spain, then Argentina, yep, then France. There's four. England, which we thought those are the still, still are five, yep. then Portugal, the Netherlands,
0: which okay. checks out. And so, is that to win the tournament or the make semi-finals. the semifinals?
1: Um, winning World Perfect. Cup great. is the same.
0: Yeah, great. Okay, interesting. So, I think I generally agree that chances, probabilities, and everything that would be what I would probably have if I were ranking the teams as far as who could go the furthest. I think the two teams that I look at that could upset that hegemony are Morocco and Japan. We've seen good stuff from them at this tournament. Morocco outplayed a theoretically elite European team in Belgium. They matched Croatia blow for blow. I think Morocco, Spain can be a really good knockout round match. And I think Morocco have the mindset and the capability of taking the game to Spain And with a couple of breaks that go their way with maybe some poor Spanish finishing, they can win that game and they can go through Japan are another team that I think could have success. They match up with Croatia. I think that's another really, really good round of 16 game. And Japan have shown that against favorites who dominate the ball in possession, they can be effective. They did it twice. They did it against Germany. They did it against Spain in a theoretical quarterfinal matchup against Brazil. You wouldn't want to overlook Japan because of what they've done already in this tournament. I think those are my kind of two teams that look really interesting. And I think you kind of have to throw the U S in there as well because of the style that they've played, the amount that they've been able to control a game as we'll get to in a minute, we'll talk about the U S and the Netherlands and against Argentina. I think there's a chance that the U S could cause them problems, particularly with how good their midfield is.
1: I agree with all three of those candidates. Um, I'm not sure I'd add another one. I think the next side of the question, which I can take a stab at, is of the favorites who maybe is most likely not to get through. Um, I'll start easier. I'll start with Portugal. I don't think it would necessarily be a disappointment for them. Not a disappointment. I don't think it would be that crazy for them to lose in the quarterfinals. That's probably actually expected. um, If they play Spain in the quarterfinals. But I just think Portugal are going to... Even if they played Morocco, if Morocco upset Spain, I can see Morocco then taking it to Portugal. Um,
0: can Switzerland give Portugal problems? Yeah. Switzerland's attack is really good.
1: Um, their defense is going to have trouble with Portugal, and Portugal will keep the ball more um, than they did uh, against it when they were rotated. Um, but yeah, Switzerland are more than good enough to get their problems. But for me, the big one here is England. Um, we've done yeah. lots of rants on England. We've talked about them a lot. I think Gareth Southgate, this is actually where his style is the most divisive because he's going to limit lots of chances and it's worked for them, but they've also been toothless in basically every big knockout match because of it. And variants or not, I just think that this style at some point is going to burn you. And maybe they'll get to a semifinal and lose maybe they'll play France and they'll just be worse than France and lose. And that would be a fine outcome for them. But I struggled to see them making the semifinals in this tournament. So there you go.
0: Another the big three, where are you looking at for a potential team that could have a weakness of so France, Brazil, and Argentina? Mm, I do think no Neymar hurts Brazil slightly. Yeah. Let's see if he can come right. back. Right. The, the talk was that he's out for the group stage. There's only two more days before that round of 16 match. And if Brazil and Argentina have quick turnarounds, but if they win, they get the first extended time off of this World Cup. They wouldn't have to play again until the next Friday. So Brazil, that would be three days off. For Argentina, that would be five days off. So maybe there's a sense of Brazil that maybe Neymar is healthy enough to be an option off the bench, but you don't start him in the hopes that you can get through without him and then have him fresher for a potential quarterfinal game.
1: Right. Right. It's tough for me to to distinguish between the three. I think all three have weaknesses, but between yep. them, you know, before the tournament, my biggest quib- quibble with France was their vibes, and that could sink them. They responded. responded, so yeah. I can't say that in good conscience. And then Argentina, just on the whole, like, played the worst out of those three, and yep. maybe it's their... I don't even think their back line is bad. Like their back line is good. Like, so I don't know. I, I really don't have a good answer to that question.
0: It's been untested. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's a, a fair statement. statement. It's been relatively untested so far. I think those three teams we think are, are the three best teams at the world cup. Spain are probably yeah, right Spain, in that conversation. Spain, as well, however, have a, the fact that they only have four points. Yeah, <laughs> Spain have
1: a very big flaw, which is their defense and their goalkeeper, are naive with the ball and just particularly not great at defending um, their offense. Yeah. Their attack might be good enough to offset that. But when we get, if you get to a quarterfinal against Portugal or a semi-final against France or England,
0: I mean, around a round of 16 match against Morocco is no cakewalk. Right. Right? Like that's a team that can if you're going
1: to be very selective when they press, but when they do, Spain can absolutely not do what they did against Japan. That is a recipe to getting upset. Yep. Um, I think Spain were just generally lacking the urgency we needed that because they had a chance. I think perhaps they thought there was no way Costa Rica won that game, and they just were a little flat.
0: They were generally yeah, right. Like, I mean, Costa Rica ended up losing four times. right, you know. right, which is why
1: I'm like choosing to believe what I saw from them in the first two games because sure. they also subbed off Murata and he helps them, and this is his time to score goals. So I think we're.
0: Hashtag player strikers.
1: Yes. Hashtag player strikers. So I, I do think if we really, really want to get into it, Brazil, uh, Richarlison was good in game one. did haven't really heard from him, What they didn't need to hear from him. And then will France miss Benzema? Is the difference between Benzema yeah. and Olivier Giroud enough to mean no World Cup? Uh, Olivier Giroud has been really good and I like him. So I think the answer is they're fine also because Mbappe is doing everything right now. but these are like a, these are yeah. the nits that like could decide it so
0: yep, exactly it's it's super duper interesting very quickly before we get into a preview of the two games that we have tomorrow Netherlands USA Argentina Australia great world cup for asia so far three teams into the round of 16 unequivocal with success good world cup for africa they've got two teams in the round of 16 one sub saharan one north african team bad world cup for conobol they could still end up winning the world cup But the fact that they came here with one team less because of Peru's failure against Australia, and then Uruguay going out and Ecuador going out, two teams that absolutely could have gotten through the group, that's a poor result for the depth from Carnival. Again, the top two teams have met expectations so far, even though they both lost a game, and they could very easily still walk out of this as World Cup winners, which would obviously make the World Cup a success. UEFA doesn't even count because they get so many teams, not even going to grade them. And then CONCACAF, down to one team, I think that's a disappointment for them as well with the United States. Because Mexico's out, Canada never really got going, and Costa Rica, I think we're fine. But so, Confederation-wise, Africa and Asia are looking like the two success stories so far. Agree,
1: totally. Um, It's also impressive that you have Japan doing it, who are really good from Asia, but then Korea, who are solid, but maybe not. They're definitely nowhere near as, I think, just squad-wise, they're not as talented as Japan. Uh, they're not as big of a power. And Australia, also not as good. So that's just yeah. really impressive to get those two teams through. Um, I don't know if it speaks to like a- uh, the Asian Confederation being necessarily like as deep. They're not as deep as Kanball. But I think yeah, it speaks to really not. good management from the managers from the organization for building their squads because both teams played with very clear identities and knew what they were doing. Meanwhile, in Uruguay and in Ecuador, two teams that were much better on talent, kind of mismanaged the group stage. And in the three games, a few decisions, they were done.
0: Yeah. One thing we didn't talk about, and we're going to get into the preview of tomorrow's games next, One thing we didn't talk about in the South Korea-Portugal game that we should have talked about in the South Korea-Portugal game, and you triggered me when you said managers and Asian team. How about the day that Paulo Bento had? Got himself sent off in the last game for arguing about when the game ended. Had to watch this game from the stands. And I'm pretty sure he just had two normal Portuguese people sitting behind him. He's also Portuguese. And there was a clip where I'm pretty sure the people behind him at one point told him to sit down. Like, Dude, I'm not telling the manager of the team who's having to watch his team from the stands to sit down, particularly when he's from the same nation, and he can come back at me in the language that I just told him to sit down. What a freaking experience he had.
1: Yeah, that's really funny. Uh, (laughs) I'm just imagining, like, do you think they didn't know who he was? They had to have not known who he was. Or was it better if they knew and they were like, sit down, you managing is less important than me seeing.
0: Imagine buying VIP seats and you find out that you're stuck behind the manager who got sent off in the last game and is now living and dying with his team trying to get to the round of 16. And they did it at the end, so he got to celebrate from the stands. Oh, God, the World Cup. Best thing ever. Never change. No rest for the weary. Group stage done amid less than 24 hours, round of 16 here. And we've got two bangers to start. The two games that matter most to the both of us. United States, Netherlands, Argentina, Australia. It's a great way to start the round of 16.
1: It is for both of our personally and for the tournament as a whole. Seeing Messi on the first day of the round of 16, uh, a good opportunity for them to go through. And uh, I think a sneaky chance for the United States to pull a big name upset.
0: And probably good that it's not Poland playing on the first day of the round of 16, right? Just for the overall vibes of the tournament. Yeah. All right, so USA-Netherlands, you and I both think that this is a pretty good matchup for the U.S. men's national team. What makes you say that, and what do you think is most important to them going through in this match?
1: So, first of all, uh, 538, got to roll it out at this point in the podcast. Uh, Netherlands, 66%, USA, 34%. This is to go through, Uh, right? Just to go through, right? No draw. So, just to go through. That's probably a tad too high for me. I think that the Netherlands are favored and maybe I'm just nitpicking here. But the reason why is because the U.S. played England, a better team than the Netherlands. Well, had more XG than them. It was a low scoring game. We've talked about that a bunch of times. It was 0-0. Both XGs were below one. But the U.S. midfield is one of the best at controlling the field, dominating the the way the game is shaped. And the Netherlands play five in the back and don't want to commit too much forward. So this is a kg game. This is a low event game. And the U.S. have so far been very good defensively at this World Cup. So it's just going to be hard for either team to really assert
0: their dominance. I think that helps the underdog here. It does, but I think my counter to that is this might be a game where there's not a lot of opportunity and there's not a lot of great chances. And you know what Netherlands have done in this tournament? They've scored goals on not great chances, and the U.S. hasn't done that so far. That might be the difference here, right? Right. If this game, as many World Cup, and
1: especially World Cup knockout games do, come down to the moment of brilliance, then Netherlands has a few more of those guys that can deliver it. I'm backing the dude who,
0: yeah, the guy who's already done it in this tournament three times in Cody Gakpo.
1: Yeah, and again, my spin zone earlier in the week was he's due to not score crazy goals. But uh, watching him, it's clear how much of a cut above he is most of the attackers in this tournament. Um, I think this is another big set-piece game. I think from here on out, for every game left in the tournament, I might have to just do it as a bit. This is a big set-piece game. especially. Where both of these teams are not—they have decent attacking players, but structurally do not want to commit too much to their attack. Yeah. So it's just the chances, as you said, are few and far between. So the set pieces really matter, and the U.S. has not had great set piece execution. Whether it's delivery, whether it's runs, timing—I I don't know. I, I'm like there are a lot. I think it's all of those things at different points. But in qualifying, in Nations yeah. League and Gold Cup, that was a strength of this team. Um, I think if either team can score a set piece, it can matter. And one thing you saw today that we've seen all tournament, penalty kicks matter. Yeah. As usual, they have an outsize effect on the outcomes of matches because they're just an amazing chance. And if you get one, you should score it. Yeah. General, and the US, general tip. Yeah. Yeah. Ghana really going to be yeah. regretting that one. Yeah. Um, the U.S. gave up a silly one. And this is one where the Netherlands attackers are going to be tricky uh, and see if they can get a mistake from whether it's Dest, whether it's Zimmerman playing. Um, and U.S. hasn't really earned one, nor have they done a lot to. Um, yeah. Christian Pulisic, will he play? I think so. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he makes the United States better at this point. The way they're using him is the right way. He's been good. Um, they need him to finish the runs. Um, I think the Netherlands may dominate the ball a little bit more than what I'm expecting, but that almost plays into the United States' hands to counterattack uh-huh. because that's how they look their most dangerous against England. So I just see this being very cagey, and I like the United States' chances, but I'm not denying the Netherlands' superior talent I don't know how do you see it going yeah
0: I think the midfield is super big here because that's been the strongest point of the U.S. so far in this tournament they've controlled the midfield pretty consistently I think there's a chance to do that again in this game and I think they can kind of tilt the playing surface a little bit if they're able to do that if they can control the midfield and kind of lock down the Netherlands ability to go forward and do a lot that will pin an already not super progressive Netherlands team back further, right? And I think that would work in the U.S.'s favor. So that is a key point for me. And now that we're into the moment of knockout football, could this come down to penalty kicks where the U.S. is trotting out Matt Turner and Netherlands is trotting out their volleyball coach trained out-of-nowhere goalkeeper who's a giant Andres Milpert? And could that matter? Of course it matters. Penalty kicks matter, and I
1: think we both agree unfortunately with Alexi lawless that they are a skill I know that they oh, are they are on the whole random events but in a vacuum you can take good penalty kicks and you can have good strategy and you can make good saves um, today we already talked about it, the Ghana penalty kick bad yeah so um yeah of course I'm terrified of Louis van Hall who's noted one of the most penalty kick shenanigan doers in the past with his Tim cruel 118th minute sub and it worked out uh, and against Costa Rica. So yeah, I'm terrified if you haven't read the story, there's not a story, but basically back in September, uh, he gave an interview with the guardian and he said, uh, we've got this volleyball coach coming in to train the guys. If, you think that he'll be helping the boys play volleyball. That is not what is happening. Thank you, Louis Van for clarifying. That's why you brought him in. But uh, he said that um, they're going to do movements to distract the other team's attackers. They're we going to that. have them shake um, Okay, I would not like to see it. But it, if I were not a U.S. fan, this would be a hilarious proposition. But in fact, I'm terrified of, of it now happening.
0: If this match goes to penalties, will you literally just melt into a puddle? Is that what's going to happen here? Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Because, oh. Sorry. Oh, oh there's a cat. Out. We got a cat. Basically. It's the first time in World Cup after dark history that the cat has shown up. There's no video feed, but a cat just jumped on Amid's shoulders. Is that a good sign? Is it a bad sign for the U.S.? I don't know, but there's a cat.
1: I didn't like that the cat came out when we were talking about penalty kicks. That <laughs> might not ov- be good. It's a bad hovins. <laughs> bad <ovans>. bad <laughs> <ovans>. Change <laughs> the prediction. Um, yeah, I think we pretty much are on the same page about this game. Yep. The U.S. are going to be in it. They're going to have their chances but there might not be that many. I think the U S have to be careful um, because they can talk themselves into being on the front foot and they surely might be, but all it takes is one moment for Gakbo to get loose for De Jong to have space to ping a ball over. And the U S likes to attack with their fullbacks. They yeah. send Dest and Robinson very high and very wide. And it's worked for the most part. Dest was awesome on the goal against a run. And that's the spaces where Gakbo wants to hang out and wait for you to leave a channel run in behind or come back from the high line into space, and he's going to dribble and shoot. So he's he's honestly like a modern-day Aryan Robin for them.
0: Um, it's Could you be a modern-day player of a player who just retired like five years ago? I don't think you could be... I don't think no, Aryan Robin is that far in the past. <laughs> I think
1: that's a good point. I think Aryan Robin... Uh, I think nowadays teams would hopefully have a better understanding of the scouting report. Yeah. He's gonna he's gonna go one way. He's yeah. gonna shoot with one foot. But I don't know. I th- that's a little disrespectful. He was a very good player. Um,
0: I don't know. Do you what do you how do you, do you think do you think the U.S. can pull it off? I'm I do. I do. Optimistic. I think mystic. I think this is a good matchup for the U.S. I think the downsides here are, are what you just brought up. There is still better attacking quality for the Netherlands. Like I understand that they don't have an out and out banging them in striker, but the attacking quality still favors them. And they will probably need less opportunity to score in this game than the U.S. will need. The U.S. will have to create a lot if they're going to score or they need to be really clinical. And I don't necessarily know that they have that. But this is a game that they can absolutely win. This is a tie that they can absolutely go through even if that's taking it all the way to penalties, even if that's kind of scoring a, a crappy goal in, in extra time, this is not a game where I expect the U.S. to be played off the field. I don't think there's very many teams in this tournament that could play the U.S. off the field, and the Netherlands are certainly not one of them. So this is, it's an even game for me. I haven't decided how I'm picking it yet, but I'm kind of leaning towards picking the U.S. in this game.
1: Fair play. I do think it's a popular upset here in the States, yeah. but for the rest of the soccer world, I do think... Um, if you've been watching the US is a good upset pick. Yeah. A few last notes on this game then we can move on. Gio Reyna, Yeah, uh, this is a time this is the time. 3 games uh barely deployed. If you want some legs if you're down in this game, uh good time to bring him on. And then other X factors are both manager subs, what they do. Yep. Greg when has been good it. in tactic. Slow on subs, perhaps bad on subs. Louis van Hall, despite the Netherlands talent, um doesn't ha- he has different kinds of subs to bring on. What Memphis's avail- depay's availability mm-hmm. is matters. So, all factors to play in.
0: But obviously, the second half will be of a chess match between the managers. Final point for me on this one. It's super interesting. Neither of these teams have had a moment in this World Cup where they've been under pressure to score. Right. Like the U S scored early enough against Iran that they weren't absolutely chasing a goal against Wales. It wasn't absolutely necessary that they score. And they also conceded the equalizer pretty late on against England. There was pressure to score, but it wasn't super intense. What happens when, or if the first goal goes in and how that changes the approach of these two teams, I think is something that will be really interesting. All right. The other game of it, Argentina against Australia, On paper, Argentina, the heavy favorites here. They have more talent. They are more organized. They look to have found a rhythm. But Australia have shown themselves to be dangerous. They've shown themselves to be efficient in the way that they play. Is there a path for the Socceroos to win this match to go through? Because
1: it's one game, yes, of course, anything can happen. Uh, I do think this is relatively straightforward to predict how it will go. Australia will defend. They will look to counter whenever they have a chance, especially if they can get 2-on-2, two 3-on-2, two, even if it's 2-on-4, 3-on-4, whatever. Yep. And Australia is going to dominate the ball, pin them in, uh, have to deal with Australia's organization. And Argentina has gotten better at that with yep. each game. Um, again, it's pretty – like, I don't think the game's not going to go like that. And, you know, at some point, if Argentina are up one or two, Australia will – throw their full might at chasing it. Um, I think Australia's best, best path here is frustrating Argentina into the 70th, 80th minute and getting a goal. I know Argentina are good enough to, or I know Australia are good enough to score. I saw them do it three times against three better teams. I could even count on that here. I don't know if one goal is enough. Yeah. Um, Argentina have just created so much. They have weapons off the bench. If for some reason it's not going, so that's why I think if Australia only score one goal, it better be late yeah. uh, or they need to score and get an all time goalkeeping, defending bounce performance to get to penalties. Um, it's just it's going to take that kind of night for Australia to have a chance. It's going to be a, not just a nightmare for Argentina, like an all time crazy bounce. And I'm not saying that can't happen. They could also bounce their way into two goals and then it would be really on, but the pattern of play in this one is going to be Australia dominating and seeing how hard they have to flex their muscles to create good chances.
0: And I think what works against Australia here is Argentina already had that game at this tournament, right? Like they had that game against Saudi Arabia and they didn't win it. It's kind of hard to expect that game to happen twice in the span of four games. And that's what would probably have to happen here. I think Australia can, can, can frustrate Argentina. I think they can create a, a solid defensive line. But I think the amount of attacking talent that Argentina has and the fact that they've played this game basically three times already at this World Cup, they know how to play this style. They have slowly but surely figured it out. They know what players need to be in the starting 11. They know how to combine. And they also have the greatest player of all time in the history of the sport who can come up with moments of brilliance if other things aren't working. So all of that put together, it's hard for me to see a scenario in which Argentina do not go through from this game. But it's been a crazy World Cup, and maybe the round of 16 will be crazy as well. We're in full agreement on this game.
1: Um, Enzo Fernandez is the player that has changed the outlook. It's allowed Rodrigo DePaul to get in the right spot. There we go. And do better. I do think this is another game for Alvarez. Um, Yeah. He just, you know, if you're not going to be getting in behind um start alvarez he's a bigger body he does more
0: stationary forward things um
1: i he think that'll help and if you need
0: those big australian center backs a bit better perhaps than, than yeah martinez and if could.
1: you need latar martinez you have him
0: right like, it's it, it's not a knock on martinez by any means who
1: we agree is a great player so this is gonna be a
0: i think a comfortable australia win but you argentina. never know argentina sorry australia, australia. Ah, uh, the two A's, A's. Although maybe you I, were just putting that on the record so you can cut it after. Uh-oh. And when Australia win three one, you're just like, it's oh, a goblet. Yeah. Said it. No, I think this will be a comfortable
1: Argentina win. Uh, it's hard to see it going another way. And yeah, yeah. I don't,
0: I don't have a ton else to add. Yeah. One final thing on this: it looks like Angel Di Maria will miss at least from the start. I don't know if he'll be an option off the bench. That'll change things for Argentina. That's that's going to be an enforced change. That's not a change that would have wanted to make. I think they'll be okay. They'll be able to kind of deal with that, but that's certainly one thing to watch here. So end of the day, are you picking the USA or Netherlands? USA. I'm taking USA and Argentina as well. I think they're going to meet in the quarterfinals, and I think this podcast is going to be a lot of fun. All right, we'll be back tomorrow to break down the results from those two first round of 16 games. We'll also kind of take a bigger picture look at the round of 16. We were rushed for time here trying to to get everything in from the last wild day of group stage action. And we'll also, of course, look at Sunday's matches ahead of those. So stay tuned for more next time on World Up After Dark. As always, thanks for listening.